Good to see everybody this morning, and wow, a uh, uh, big, big crowd, and big, big, uh, big shindig. You guys play musical chairs? Do I need to stop talking? Okay. Uh, so, Elijah, you found a seat. Good job, Elijah. Good job. All right, I know. Um, so we're good. We're good. Don't choke, Charlie. All right. Uh, uh, so I, that's 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 all. I'm Shane, teaching pastor uh, here at Crosspoint. I think I've been able to meet most of you all and, and everything. But uh, in our culture, in our culture, I, 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 it's kind of written in us and everything. But we love the underdog story. We love the underdog story. Olympics are going to start here in a couple of months. The Winter Olympics in a couple of months. And, we love those uh, vignette stories of, 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 of the guys, of the gals that, that are from, from some, some Timbuktu country and they had to go through war and famine and all this to get, or, you know, like the Jamaican, you know, cool runnings of the Jamaican bobsled team, you know, like Jamaicans don't bobsled because it's not cold there and, 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 and everything. We love the underdog story and we're, we, we draw to the underdog story kind of like a Kind of like a fly to a to a to a bug light, you know. We're just kind of drawn to it, and we love it, and we're excited to to hear those stories and they make us feel good inside and, and everything. And I, we our family rented uh, Turbo this week, and boy, that, talk about an underdog or an under snail story, and and you know from from a snail to the Indy 500 and and and, and that sort of thing, and and the underdog of that, and just kind of drawn to that. We love the underdog story, but. But we don't write ourselves in as the underdog when we're dreaming. I know this is going to be a surprise to some of y'all, but I was the dork in middle school. You're like, just middle school? Uh, but <laughs> it's enough. you weren't supposed to laugh at that. It wasn't a joke. That wasn't a joke. Anyway, I, w- I, was, I was the underdog in middle school, you know. I wasn't a toothpick. I was many toothpicks put together, okay. And you're like, if you were a toothpick then. And, and I was, but, 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 but when, I, when I won the girl in my mind. Come on, fellas, you've been there, right? You've been there. When I won the girl in my mind, I wasn't the underdog. I was the cool kid. I was the one that swept her off her feet and wooed her and wowed her, but I was the kid, the girl literally almost ran from when she realized I was going to go ask her to dance at the dance. True story. Oh, uh, okay. And look, look, fellas, I, I, know, I know some of y'all's stories how you got that lady, girl to sit next to you. It, it ain't no made-for-TV tale, you know? Nobody would buy it, right? I mean, we don't write ourselves in as the underdog. We write ourselves in as the hero. But we love the underdog story. Why? Why do we love the underdog story but don't write ourselves in as the hero? Because we don't want to go through the trouble of being the underdog. <laughs> I don't want to go through the trouble of being the underdog. Underdog means work and sacrifice. We kind of picture our life a little bit like the beer commercial. Everybody's partying. Everybody's having a good time. Everybody's got all kinds of money in the world and no cares and no nothing. We just we just one perpetual party, right? We kind of write our lives as that when we're when we're writing it in our minds. We don't think any trouble's going to come. We don't think. 
stuff's going to happen. So we don't write ourselves in as the underdog story, but we love the underdog story. And I think that was something that God wrote into our hearts is to love the underdog story because when he wrote himself into the history of the world, it was the biggest underdog story ever. But we would never write it that way because when we write our own story, we don't write it that way. People missed it because they didn't think that the story would be written like that. We're going to jump around a little bit in, in, in the Bible. We're predominantly going to be in Micah chapter 5. Micah's, Micah's a, a, an itty-bitty book in the back of the Old Testament. And you go past Isaiah and, 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 and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and Daniel. And then you see a bunch of just little ones. Micah's in the middle of that. You just kind of find it in there. You can follow along on the, on the screen. If you uh, have, the, have the Bible app on your smartphone or tablet, you can follow along there. We've got all the verses uh, uh, put together there, and you can follow along. Here to serve, one word, uh, all spelled out, is our Wi-Fi code. Um, but in Micah, we see a guy foreshadowed that was the underdog. That was the shepherd from nowhere. And it was going to be such an underdog story that God had to start 700 years before it actually would happen in order for us to have a chance at catching it or believing it. Micah lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. See, this series foreshadow is, isn't about God predicting the future or Micah or the other prophets predicting the future. Foreshadow is about God who knows the future, controls the future, is in, and is in the future telling some guys five, six, seven hundred years before it happened exactly what's going to happen. That's what this series is about. And, and God tells Micah exactly what's going to happen 700 years before it happens. And it is so underdog that he had to start 700 years prior in order for us to just to have a chance at catching it or believing it. And so in Micah 5.2 it says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephraim, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. Bethlehem is a small village, a small town on the, on the shadows of Jerusalem, about six miles outside of Jerusalem. And it was, it was a small town. It was a small village. And God says to, to, to Micah, and Micah writes this down, there's going to be a ruler that's going to come through you, O Bethlehem. And the, the, the core characteristic of this ruler, he's going to be born, but he's going to be eternal. It's a little bit of a riddle, right? The one that's born, but eternal. Born, but he's always been. That's going to be the core characteristic of this guy that's coming, that's going to be born, this ruler, this shepherd that's going to come from nowhere. Bethlehem, saying a ruler, a king of Israel is going to come through Bethlehem. It's like me saying the next president of the United States is going to come from Bodark. You'd be like, the sign is bigger than the town. It's not going to come from Bodark. Sorry if you live in Bodark, I think. Anyway, you can get mad at me later. But it's a shepherd, it's a guy coming from nowhere. A lot of you know this story, but maybe you don't. I'm not going to assume that you do. 
How did it go down 700 years later? We see in Luke, and I'm going to tell this part of the story. We see in Luke an angel go to a barely a teenage girl, probably 12, 13, 14 year old girl named Mary, and say, You're going to have a baby. Like, I've had that class before. I haven't done what that takes. Angels, no, 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 no. God's going to do it. Oh, that makes sense. Right? And the problem is, and, and, and Luke conveys this, they were living in Nazareth. Well, that's not going to be the... It just said it's, it's going to be born in Bethlehem. The problem? It's not how this story is supposed to go. So they're living in Nazareth, and, 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 and she's engaged to this guy named Joseph that's a carpenter. They lived a normal life. They were in the line of David, and Joseph was in the line of David, but they weren't prince. They weren't princess. They were just normal people. Carpenter. And Nazareth was a nothing town, too. But then in a matter of two sentences, Luke flips the story. But there was a census that occurred. And, and in those days, it wasn't about waiting for your mail and just filling out the little bubbles and waiting for the guy to knock on your door, right? They had to go down to Bethlehem because that's where David's lineage was from because he was in the lineage of... or Joseph's lineage was from because he was in the lineage of David. And so they traveled down to Bethlehem. And I was curious, I was thinking about, you know, how long would it take th for them to travel down there? And then I just happened to see yesterday on Twitter that somebody said four days. And because, you know, it's on Twitter, it must be true. So, uh, you know, something about four days on a donkey. And Luke says that she was obviously pregnant. That's one of the best lines, best phrases in all the Bible. She, and, and Mary was obviously pregnant. No questioning, you know, no office pools on... Is she pregnant or is she not, you know? No wondering, no just keeping your mouth shut because you, you're afraid to put your foot in your mouth. She was obviously pregnant four days on a donkey through rough terrain, hilly terrain, desert terrain, rocky terrain. Ladies, you'd have a piece of your mind for Joseph, right? Since it's this, bro! So four days of that... They get to Bethlehem, and she's like, it's coming now. Get your donkey, you donkey, and let's go. But the problem was, as we know the story, it really wasn't like this because they didn't have inns back then, but there was no room at the inn. Basically, there was nobody willing to show them hospitality because the town was too full, and so they were pushed to the edge of the town, outside of the town of Bethlehem, outside of this podunk town, into a cave where they kept the farm animals. She had the baby right there while the cow's going... wrapped him in normal cloth and put him in a feeding trough, the king of the universe. Ain't getting no one more underdog than that. And I bet, I, I don't know that this exactly happened, but here's what, here's what I think happened up in heaven. The angels are like, come on, God. Somebody's got to announce this. Somebody's got to go to him. Somebody's got to do this. You can't just let your king, who is all eternity, nine months ago, he was sitting here. 
No, guys, no, 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 no. We can't, we can't do it. We can't, no, 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 no. Then finally, God gives in and goes, okay, you see those shepherds? This is the shepherd from nowhere. You see those shepherds, you go tell them. And the angels went and freaked some shepherds out in the dark of the night one night. Hallelujah! You know, and it went, ah! Something like how it happened. And they're like, I think we need to go check this thing out. I got to go change my toga. <laughs> and they went to Bethlehem and they see the baby lying in the manger. And they worship this baby as king. And then it goes silent for 12 to 18 months. The story goes silent for 12 to 18 months. In Matthew, we see it this way. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, about the time some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. I mean, these guys were rich. These guys had audience with every king in the world. All they did in Jerusalem was show up, knock on King Herod's door, and they walked in and was able to talk to King Herod. I mean, think Prince Ali in Aladdin type of procession into Jerusalem. I mean, it freaked out the entire town. Like, what is going on here? Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars that rose, and we have come to worship him. Hey, where's the king? I mean, this is the capital city of, of, of Israel. Where's your king? Kings are born in capital cities. Kings are born in palace. Herod, congratulations. Where's the king? This disturbed Herod. I don't have a son. I killed them all. Herod was a control freak. Anybody that was a threat to his power, he killed. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called the meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Herod had heard about this Messiah guy, and he was concerned about him because he was supposed to be the king of the Jews. So, 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 these wise men show up. Herod's like, hey, hey, religious folk, where's this guy supposed to be born? Tell me, where is he supposed to be born? Because he wasn't born here. Where is he supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, and they quote Micah 2, for this, or Micah 5, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Religious leaders got, said, hey, fellas, you can go find him in Bethlehem. And after they left, they were like, whatever. You ever thought about that? These religious leaders, they knew where the Messiah was supposed to be born, but why did they not tell the wise men to go see if it was the Messiah? Here's what I think. They're like, we didn't hear anything on Twitter. AP didn't have a story about some king born in Bethlehem. The way we would have wrote it, if, if, if the Messiah was really there, the way we would have wrote it would be that, yeah, sure, he was born in a nothing town, but there'd be news coverage about it. We'd have heard by now, I mean, 12, 18 months down the road, I, we would have heard by now that some Messiah, some king, our king, the one we've been waiting for, was born. We would know that. I mean, news travels. Today it travels. I mean, Texas coach was fired last Monday and Nick Saban had the job, according to our news, you know, last Sunday before it even happened. You know, we know news before it happens. 
Today is no different than 2,000 years ago. It's just the media outlets are different. I mean, shoot, Fox News reported this week that Jesus was white. Did you hear that? Tell that to the Middle Eastern Jesus. Jesus looks more like Saddam Hussein than he does us. News travels, is what I'm saying. And to these religious leaders, they said, news didn't travel. Why would we go follow some crazy wise men, wise men, ha, finding a Messiah, whatever. We would have heard about that. We were the religious people. The way they do. They went and they worshipped Toddler as king. I don't know some of your all's backgrounds and you know the story, you don't know the story, if you come here with your skepticisms about church and Jesus and, you know, did God really predict all this and was Jesus who he said he was and, and I, I'm glad you're here with your questions because we want to answer those questions. And one of the questions that people have surrounding Jesus and if he was who he said he was and if he was who, who God foreshadowed, predicted, said, whatever, maybe, maybe, Maybe Jesus just was familiar with the Old Testament prophecies and he just decided, you know, kind of like his bucket list to fulfill them all. There's a couple of reasons why that would be difficult. First of all, there were over 60 direct prophecies of Jesus from the Old Testament. For any person to see 60 direct prophecies and go, I'm going to fulfill those. That'd be a little bit, that'd be difficult. And there's 100, 150 or more indirect prophecies about the one that was coming. So to fulfill over 200 prophecies, that would be quite the bucket list. But even more importantly, let me put it this way. Anybody, any, anyone, any of you, how many of you determined where you were born? Anyone? Anyone? We've had, we've had four kids in three states. Not any of them sent a memo beforehand and said, I want to be born here. <laughs> That'd be weird, awkward, and strange. Many of those prophecies were not determined by Jesus or could not have been fulfilled by Jesus because they were his birth or his hometown. Things that he didn't decide. But this is all, <clears throat> this is all trivial, right? This is all trivial pursuit. And, 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 and this is nice for a game of Bible trivial pursuit, you know, and all that. And, 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 and also it, it helps and, and out in culture if you get questions and, and et cetera. But there should be deeper questions where, we're asking, like, why did God do it this way? Why did he write it this way? Why did he write himself as the underdog? Why? Well, we've got to go back to Micah to see that, Micah 5. 
We'll start in verse 1. Mobilize, marshal your troops. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. They will strike Israel's leader in the face with the rod. But you, O Bethlehem Ephraim, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength. In the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, when his people will live here undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world. And maybe we're like, huh? That makes less sense now that you read it all. Maybe some of you are stuck on the whole, mobilize, marshal your troops. And you're like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Let's get throw down here and get some armies going. Call of Duty 5, Jesus style. <laughs> Ghosts. What's this whole mar- 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 marble eyes? Some <laughs> cupcake, marble in it. Mobilize your troops. What is this all about? Well, we've got to see what's going on in all of Micah. Micah 1 through 3 is about God pointing out the sin of Israel and saying, this is why you're going to be destroyed. This is why judgment's going to come down on you. This is why I'm going to punish you is because of all of these sins. But in, but in Micah chapter 4, he turns the page and gives a different picture. God gives a picture of what he wants from his people, not the sin but an idealistic picture, exactly what he wants from, from his picture. For some of you that have been kind of coming for a while, but don't know where we get our, our, our purpose from, the way that we word it, it's from this in Isaiah 2, because Micah 4 and Isaiah 2 say the same exact thing. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. What God is saying is, Micah 1 through 3 is not what I want for my people. Micah 1 through 3, the pe- my people in sin, my people standing in front of judgment, my people not doing my will is not what I want for my people. Micah 4 is what I want for my people. He says, the mountain of the Lord's house, the Lord's house was never about a building. Ever, 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 ever. Even the temple in the Old Testament and the tabernacle in the Old Testament, those of you that are familiar with those stories, was not about the building. It was about the fact that God's presence lived in that building among his people. And so now in the last days, which is, which is when we're living, now God dwells with his people through his spirit living in his people. Those that have, have confessed Jesus and the Lord and has confessed their sins and said, I want you to forgive me, God is wiped clean and put his spirit on us so that now, as Paul says it, we are his temple. So that people from all over the world, but other translations say nations. And it's not about peoples and states. It's about those who are not God's people. The nations start outside of that door. God said, what I want for my people is to live in such a way that the nations, as we say it, non-fans, those that are like, I don't know about this God thing, I don't know about this church thing, will stream to God through his people. Not a building, through his people. What kind of people is God going to gather into his house? Micah 
4, 6 answers this. In that coming day, says the Lord, I will gather together those who are lame, those who have been exiled, and those whom I have filled with grief. The people God is going to gather together are the lame. And you're like, are you calling me lame? Yes, I'm calling you lame. I'm calling us all lame. Lame here means broken. Walks with the limp. But if you want to use lame in today's terms as not cool, that's cool too. It all works. I heard this phrase this week and I think it fits here. I'm going to say this to, to those who consider themselves part of God's people. If you are not in need of a Savior, you're not saved. If you're not in need of a Savior, you're not saved. If you think you have enough money, if you think you have enough status, a good enough job, a good enough house, good enough possessions, good enough anything, if you think coming to church because that's your American suburban thing to do because we're Christians... But you're not in need of a Savior. Probably not saved. Because it's only people who are in need of a Savior that save. It's not about showing up. It's about realizing that we're all lame. And in need of a Savior. God's going to gather those who realize that sin has broken them, has put them in exile. Isn't that why Jesus came and said, I'm not looking for those who are righteous. I'm not looking for those who are well. I've come so that the sick may be healed. For those of you that are just checking this out, this whole church thing, this whole Jesus thing. I think you get what I just said. In fact, that's probably why you struggle with church, is that you see a whole bunch of people who are broken but don't think they're broken. You're like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. See, calling us out as lame, calling us out as people with sin isn't about dogging on us. It's about realizing that we're broken, but there is a physician who wants to heal us. Now he's the one that gathers us together. And that church isn't about showing up because that's our suburbia America thing to do, but church is about coming and going, I'm lame, you're lame, we're all lame, we're all Napoleon Dynamites. So we're just going to come together and we're going to worship God together as someone who heals us. That's who he gathers together. But what happens when a bunch of underdogs get together? The bully shows up, right? The bully shows up. 
Micah 4.11, Now many nations have gathered against you. Let her be desecrated, they say. Let us see the destruction of Jerusalem. 4.11 is right before the chapter break into chapter 5. And what God is saying, here, I've got, I've got my gathered people who are all lame, who are all broken, and then the nations, bullies show up that wants to squash my people. God always speaks contextually. And what that means is he speaks in the language, he speaks in a way that, the, that, that those people could understand. And in that day, the people were dealing with these, these, these nations, these people, these bullies coming in to take over their land. And he didn't intend this to be literal as in marshal your troops. But at the same time, taking this literal, for those of you that know this story, taking that literal is probably why Peter threw out a sword and cut a guy's ear off. Now's the time to mobilize. Yeah. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. It's not what my kingdom's about. He's come to lead a kingdom. He's come to be the underdog leader of his underdog people. But his kingdom isn't about physical armies. His kingdom is about saving people from the only enemy that's out there. As Paul says, our, our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against other people. It's against something we don't even see. Satan, sin, death, Destruction, lameness. Our battle is against that. And so with that in mind, with that filter on our minds, let's read Micah 5 again and see if we can make a little bit better sense of Micah 5. Mobilize, marshal your troops. You've got, this, you've got these bullies pressing in on you. Let's go, let's step up. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. They will strike Israel's leader in the face with the rod. Implication of Jesus being beat. O Bethlehem Ephrath are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies, will live in oppression. Sin will cause oppression in all of our lives. We've all felt that. The sin that's left us beat, beat up, left out to dry and to, for dead. We know it, but for some reason we can't escape it either. Every time we try and walk away, it pulls us and drags us back in. Sin leaves us in oppression. They will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Talking about Mary. Then at last, his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, the kingdom of God. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, that his people will live there undisturbed in peace and in security, for he will be highly honored among the, around the world. His name will get out around the world. Think Braveheart here. 
underdog leader, mobilizing a troop of underdog people just stop short of the kilts, okay? I don't need my, bo- I was, I, as I was doing this message, preparing this message yesterday, I was like, Braveheart, I need to see Braveheart again. And I thought, I got three boys who just don't need to see the kilt scene. Oh. Oh, we have a hard enough time keeping their pants on. Oh. Oh. Think Braveheart. Think underdog leader leading a group of underdog people to mobilize the troops for freedom. For freedom. Freedom! For those of you that have come and you're wondering about this church thing and you're wondering about this Jesus thing and about this God thing, Here's what, here's what I want you to know. Pushing down the beach ball of oppression in our hearts will not make it go away. Temporarily, maybe. But at some point in time, the beach ball is full of air, and so it'll come bubbling up to the surface, and that oppression will come back. The only way to come out of the oppression, to come out of what sin does to us is follow the underdog leader out because he is the strength of the Lord and he will bring you into peace and security he will that's what he's promised For those of us that settled, even though I mean, we wrestle with that and maybe you're dealing with something right now that man just keeps dragging you back Follow the underdog leader. It's not about praying a prayer, although we will pray. It is about looking at Jesus and saying, I'm going to follow you. And some of you would say, I don't know how to follow Jesus. You've got a bunch of lame people sitting around here going, I'll help you follow Jesus. Because I've been healed by Jesus. I'm not perfect. And I still struggle. But he's led me out of my oppression to sin. And I'll help you know what it means to follow Jesus. That's what discipleship is. Helping people know how to follow Jesus. It's not a curriculum. It's not a memorization deal. It's not if you know enough, it's empty what I know about Jesus and about following Jesus into your cup. And church is about coming together and saying, God, I've got an empty cup here. Can you fill it? Can you fill it? Please? Those of you that are ready to decide to follow Jesus, I wish it was more complicated because we believe complicated stories better than simple stories. But what it's all about is saying, Jesus, I'm tired of being oppressed. I'm tired of living in exile. I'm tired of pushing the beach ball underneath the water. I want you to pop the dang beach ball and take care of it. I don't know what it means to follow exactly, but I want you to take care of it so that I can live strength, peace, 
security. For those of us that have done that, for those of us that <clears throat> we're not perfect, but you know, overall, you know, God's led us out of the struggle. And we, it's not to say that there's no temptation. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but <clears throat> he's led us out. This is what faith is. See, faith is seeing things the way God sees them and then acting on it. See, the cute little thing about God is that he sees stuff that's bigger than us. He sees stuff before we actually experience it and touch it and know it. Faith says, God, I see what you see, or at least I think I see what you see, so therefore I'm going to walk toward what you see. And to tie it to where we are right here and right now, this is what Mission 2014 is all about. God, I see that you need us to solve building solutions to stream more people to you. I see it, but I ain't got it in my fingers. So I'm going to walk in the direction faith because I don't have it in my hands I don't know how this is all going to turn out but I'm going to walk in the direction that you're leading because in that direction strength and peace and security The Church of America is plateaued and declining. Why? Because too many churches have said it's not worth taking the next step. We're comfortable here. We're good here. We can do this right here, right now, for as long as we, we can be alive. We can do this. So I'm not taking the next step. That's not faith. God will let us live in that mediocrity. He'll let us live there. Faith isn't showing up to church, getting our willies about showing up at church and walking out the door. Faith is having that moment that's bigger than us, taking a deep breath and going, I'm going anyway. Because I know that's where strength, peace, and security live because that's where you are. Personally, this is what it looks like for us. Personally. Those of you that are new and, and, and some of you don't know this, I, I don't get paid full time for Crosspoint. I referee soccer. I love it. I, I've got opportunity there and stuff, but I get paid to referee soccer. <laughs> In the last two weeks, Lake Country, where I referee, has canceled four nights. I've refereed on three of them. The only nights in the last two weeks I've refereed have been canceled. $150, $160. So we come this morning with our Mission 2014 gift going, whew, 
That wasn't part of the deal, God. That wasn't part of it. You, sh you sure about this, God? If we haven't asked that question, we're not living in faith. Because we don't need God's strength. We don't need a Savior. Faith and wisdom aren't opposed to each other. We're not giving away all of our savings. We're not doing any of that. But it's a breathe deeply sort of gift. And that's where we are as a church. And all the church is, is a bunch of individuals coming together. And that's where we are. We're at that moment where we're going, I see it, but man, God, if you don't come through, we're toast. If we're not in need of a Savior, we can't be saved. And we're at that moment where we could decide, we're good here, God. We could do this forever. But we'd cap our ability to stream people to Him. See, we live in some sort of weird nirvana as Christians where rainbows are coming out of unicorns' butts that we think that once we come to know Christ, everything's just going to be perfect and nothing's going to happen and nothing's going to come pressing down on us. But God never gave that Im image of His people. Micah 5, 5 and 6, And He will be the source of peace. When Assyrians invade our land and break through our defenses, we will appoint seven rulers to watch over us, eight princes to lead us. They will rule Assyria with drawn swords <clears throat> and enter the gates of the land of Nimrod. He will rescue us from the Assyrians when they pour over the borders to invade our land. Again, God is speaking contextually to these people. What this means to us is there's always going to be enemies. There's always going to be temptation. There's always going to be reason to not step out in faith. There's always going to be pressing financial need. There's always going to be people around us saying, why do you do this? There's always going to be enemies. But God's promised to lead us in strength, in peace, and security. There's never a perfect time to walk in faith. Never. Jesus told this to his boys. Matthew 16. Verse 18. Now I say to you, that you are Peter, which means rock. And Peter just confessed, you are the Christ. You, Jesus, are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one. You're the, you're the one who is the Son of God. Peter knew it, but he didn't fully know what it meant. And upon this rock, not specifically you, but you're going to have a part in this, upon this confession, upon a life lived out as me as Messiah, I will build 
my church. Not my building. I could use this verse today to twist it way out of context and say, well, look, God's telling us to build a building. Bogus. Bad use of God's word. He'll build his church, his people, his ecclesia, his gathering group. I will build my church. What? All the powers of hell will not conquer it. All those enemies, all those forces, all that pressure, all that temptation, all that you can't do this, all that you're crazy, all of that will never conquer you if you believe that I'm the Messiah and you follow me. That's where we are. That's where we are. For those of you just checking this thing out, your faith step is, are you following the underdog leader? Because he's come to lead a bunch of underdogs. To strength, to peace, to security. Are you tired of the sin and ready to follow him out of oppression? For the rest of us, that that settles, well, a daily, a daily struggle, a daily grind, a daily life, that's true. But that's settled. What does it mean for your life to live in faith following this underdog leader? The issue that's on the table, if you will, for, for, for most of us, the, those that are cross-pointers, is, 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 is are we going to step further? Mission 2014 is us as individuals coming together and saying, this is my step forward. But for, many of, for others, uh, you've got other things that following Jesus means, following the underdog leader means. Question for all of us is simple. What does it mean for you to follow the underdog leader who's going to give us strength, peace, and security in the name of God? What does it mean for you to follow this underdog leader? Let's pray. And follow what I thank you for this day. This story is too underdog to believe it. We wouldn't write it this way. But it needed to be this way. So we needed an underdog leader as underdogs ourselves. I pray, Lord, that those of us that are dealing with oppression and dealing with, with, with wanting to come out of what we've put ourselves in... I, Draw us out. Lead us out so that we don't have to live in oppression and exile to sin anymore. That while it's a struggle and enemies will come and press on us, we can say, by faith, I follow you. No matter what's coming down on me. As many of us are thinking or have, have decided, but but there's still this angst, there's, there's still this big breath moment. Give us the courage. 
to mobilize and step out and say, I'm going to live in faith by you, but you are going to have to strengthen me. You are going to have to lead in peace. You are going to have to lead in security because if you don't, I'm toast. And as a group of people, if you don't, we're toast. And the image that you have for us, the image you've placed in us, the dream you've placed in us, will be a distant memory. You've promised that those enemies pressing down on us will never be victorious in our life. Let us step and see you actually be victorious in our life. Give us the courage in the face of chaos. Courage in the face of weakness. Courage in the face of insecurity. To walk to you. Turn in that prayer. Amen. Is the band place? What does it mean to follow this underdog leader for you? There's going to be a couple people back here, myself and Shelly. If you need to walk through that, if you need to talk through that, we're back there to help you. As fellow lame people to help you. Know the God who wants to heal you. For the rest of us, if you need to talk about something, we'll be back there too. I see many of you moving getting stuff ready let this be a time of reflection and prayer to say God my underdog leader wherever you're leading me I will follow go ahead and stand with us